we're going to get into the Word this morning in Hebrews chapter 3. If you are visiting or new with us, or um, maybe not new, but it's been a while, welcome or welcome back. It's good to have you here today, and we are believing this year at Abundant Life that God is, I was going to say going to move mountains, but I believe he already is moving mountains. And so he's moving mountains, and he's going to keep moving mountains, and uh, some of you came this morning with a mountain in your life, and I believe that God is going to move these things, these things, these obstacles, these things that are keeping us from living what he has for us. And so right now we are in a sermon series called Above All. If you are going to see a mountain moved in your life, you have got to have a faith that Jesus is above all, that Jesus is the highest of everything. He is above everything else. And that's what we're studying here in the book of Hebrews. And, um, you know, this, this sermon series in Hebrews, this book, this book, and I'm just going to give you a short recap. Um, essentially, we have Jews who have become Christians very early on in the church, really about mm, 30 years or so after Jesus ascended to heaven. And there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of persecution and many of them are considering just going back to Judaism, just going back, going back to the old-time religion, going back to just doing the sacrifices and doing the old things. And, and the author of Hebrews is, wants to be very clear to them that Jesus is above all, that Jesus has fulfilled everything. And so this is a book, this is a dissertation on uh, Jesus, on how he has fulfilled all things that God has planned for humanity. And so this book is an urging to stay true to Jesus. And so the first section of this book is where the sermon series is. We're going to go through the first probably four chapters or so. And the first part of this book is really explaining that Jesus is above everything. And so we've studied that Jesus is above angels. He is above the prophets. And today we're going to talk about Jesus being above Moses. So we're going to get into that in chapter three. Before we get there, I just wanted to, to, to process some, some human tendencies that, that we see in our own lives. Uh, do you notice that when good things happen, when, when someone goes to accomplish something and something good happens, it's real easy to take credit, like, yeah, I did that, um, except for when bad things happen and then it was someone else's fault. You ever find that in your life? Uh, if, if you think about this, it all started with Adam and Eve. Like this idea where, I'm telling you, if you've ever have two toddlers, two little kids, and something went wrong, and you walk into a room, and there is crayon, or worse, permanent marker all over your wall, what are you going to get? She did it. That's what you're going to get, right? Someone else did it. There's a fight. She said mean things to me, and then he hit me, and point the finger. It's just what people do. You point the finger. We want to deflect the blame. It started with Adam and Eve. When God went to Adam and says, why did you eat of the, the fruit of the forbidden tree? He pointed to Eve and said, it's her fault. She did it. And this is, this is the beginning of sin, is to say someone else's fault. And so we'll find this now in our lives. It's part of humanity. It's part of sin in our life. You find it with coworkers when a project doesn't get done. Uh, worse yet, you find it with bosses. Maybe they, your corporate comes in and the, they say, why isn't this done? And they go, well, you know, all my people who work for me, they just didn't happen to, instead of taking responsibility. But I wonder what would happen if rather than, than pointing 
when bad things happen in our life, what if we started pointing out good things? Like intentionally pointing to good things that, you know, I think what would that do in relationships when someone says, wow, this is really great. And you say, oh, well, she's responsible for why this is so awesome. Or he is, he's the reason why this went so well. And we actually started pointing to others when things go right, when things are good. I think that would do a lot for relationships. It would do a lot for humanity if we started to point to others when things go well. But there is a greatest person that we can point to in all things, and that's Jesus. We can point to Jesus. And this message today, really, we're going to come back again to pointing to Jesus. And we're going to take a look at what it looks like to point your life to Jesus. And so let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Now, as you go there, as you're finding that, uh, I want you to just remember, if you've ever read the Old Testament, any of it, what we find is that Moses was the most important person in Israel's history. The most, of course, there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but Moses is the most precious to the Jews because he's the man through whom God gave the Old Testament covenant, gave the law, gave the regulations, gave the way of life. When you think about the Pharisees and the problems they had with Jesus and the accusations they had, is they said, Jesus is violating the law of Moses. And so there was always this, Moses was held in this highest esteem. And so the author of Hebrews is about to do something very bold, and he is about to say that Moses is just not quite up to par with Jesus. And so he's going directly to the heart of the issue here. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers... You who, can, who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if we indeed hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Let's pray over this, and then we'll get right into it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is life. Holy Spirit, breathe life into your word again, fresh today, Lord, that we would, we would be able to look at this today, and we would be able to see what it is that you're saying to us and how it applies to our life in this moment, in this time in history. Lord, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I said, he's talking to Christians who are Jews. So it's important to honor Moses in some capacity here. If you are, if you, you would not, if you were trying to give a persuasive argument to someone, the last thing you want to do is insult the person in who they hold dear. That's going to put their defenses up right away. So he honors Moses and he doesn't act, he doesn't minimize Moses in the least, but what he does is he elevates Jesus above Moses. So Moses still has honor and respect. It's just that Jesus is greater. And, and they need to understand that while Moses was important in the history of God's people, Jesus is the centerpiece for the future of God's people, is what we're learning here. Now, this was, this was a couple thousand years ago. And so at this time, Jesus had walked on earth just 30 years before this. And so they're still hanging on, if they are, to Moses. They're deciding, maybe we should just go back to this. Jesus is what God has for the future 
for his people. And, and the big argument here is this, and we're going to look at three ways that this is spelled out, and that is simply this, Jesus is greater than Moses. And that's, the, that's the argument that we're looking here in this passage. I'm going to show you a few reasons why. It says that he has been counted worthy of more glory. He has been counted more worthy of glory. And so how is Jesus greater than Moses? He gives us three reasons here. The first is this, number one, Moses belonged to God's house, but Jesus built God's house. That's the first thing that he wants, to, wants us to understand. Moses belonged to God's house. Jesus built God's house. Moses was born an Israelite into the tribe of Levi. And when the author speaks of God's house, he's speaking of God's people. God's people. So this is really the, 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 the foundation here. When he says the house, he's talking about the people of God. And in this case, in the case of Moses, it was the Israelites. Moses was an Israelite, and he was called to lead Israelites. He was part of that house, and he played a significant role in their history. He uh, received the Ten Commandments, big deal, uh, right? He established the temple practices, the rules for living. Moses was important, and here's what we know about Moses. The glory of God was on his life. Moses was a good, godly man. Not without issue, not without problem, not without fault, but he was a godly man, and the glory of God was on his life. If you were to go back to Exodus chapter 34, and Moses had been on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God, meeting with God, and it says in verse 29 and 30 that Moses was coming down the mountain after meeting with God, and it says that his face was like lit up. It was like a light bulb. It was it said it shone because he had met the glory of God face to face. He had spent time in the presence of God. And so face to face with God, his face is now lit up. Could you imagine what that looks like? A human light bulb walking down a mountain. Like what a crazy thing. We see this a few times throughout scripture where this happens to someone, someone who's met with God and the glory of God shone upon him. And so there is no arguing that Moses had the glory of God on his life. This is well established, and he's not refuting that. He's just saying that Jesus is worth even more glory than that, because Jesus wasn't just a part of the house. He wasn't just, just an Israelite who was called to lead Israelites. Jesus was actually the builder of God's house. And we looked at this, I think it was a couple weeks ago, if you want to go back and listen to the messages from this series where we talked about how all things were made through Christ. Uh, I think that message was called in Jesus' name. It says in John 1, 3 that God created everything through Jesus, and nothing was created except through him. And so without Jesus, guess what? There's no Moses. Without Jesus, there's no Israel, because Jesus is the builder of the house. He is the one in whom God created all things. And so while Moses has glory, and he's a part of God's house, leading God's house, First, we start with this idea that, well, Jesus built it. And for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God, specifically Jesus. And so he is worthy of more honor as a builder of the house. So that's the first thing he wants them to understand. Jesus is greater than Moses because even before Moses was, Jesus was, and he built God's house. The second thing that he wants us to understand as we see here that uh, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, but Christ was faithful over God's house as a son. So Moses was a servant. Jesus is a son. 
And he was a faith, Moses was a faithful servant. In fact, in, in Numbers 12, 7, where, where the Lord is speaking to his people about the prophets of old and the way that he speaks to them in, in dreams and visions, he says that this is how he speaks to the prophets in this way. But he says, but not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all of my house. This is Numbers 12, 7. And he says, I speak to Moses face to face. And so Moses is faithful. The Lord himself said to God's people, Moses is faithful in all my house. And the author of Hebrews is reiterating that. And God appointed him for a time to steward the house of God. And as a steward, you have limited authority. If you are a servant, you have limited authority. You're simply following out the commands of the master. There is someone in charge, and then there is a servant. And the servant has a job to do what the master has ordered the servant to do. And so this was Moses' calling. He was to serve God's purpose on earth. But Jesus wasn't just a servant. Jesus was faithful as the son. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that he is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the, he is the foundation of all things. And as a son, see, Jesus is the heir of God's house. He has the inheritance. A servant doesn't inherit the house. The, the son inherits the house. The son is who is the heir of these thing, all things. And so he has a greater measure of responsibility over the house of God. You see, Jesus wasn't sent to serve God's people. Now, as a pastor, my calling is to serve God's people. I'm a servant of God. Your calling is to serve. If you are called men, God has called you to lead your home, to be the leader of your home. You know what that means? He's called you to serve your home. He's called you to be the one to come up ever, under everyone and to help them walk in their God-given gifts. He's, he's called you to come and support your family, to speak life into them, to encourage them, to, to help them grow in the ways of the Lord. That's what leading really is. If you are a leader in any capacity in your life, what that means is that you're the number one servant. That's what leadership is. It boils down to that. And so that's, that's my calling. But Jesus wasn't a servant. He was the leader, and he was leading God's house into a new and living way. He was doing a new thing. He was leading God's house. He is the head of the house. The head of the house. Let's, let's expand on that a little bit more with our third thing that he tells us. And that is, Moses was faithful in, so we can say in. Can you say that with me? In. And then Jesus... Christ is faithful over. Say over. See the difference between these two words. Moses was in the house. Jesus is over the house. Okay? So there's two different things here. And, and guess what? This is, I love this. And he says, and you are that house. What does that look like in your life for Jesus to be over your house? Where Jesus is the lead. Jesus is the authority. First Peter 2 tells us that we are being built as a spiritual house. See, the house of Jesus is his church. It is the church today. This is the house of Jesus. And he wanted them to understand that because they were clinging to this idea of the house. Well, you know, we're Jewish people, we're the Israelites, but he's saying, look, Jesus is head over a house. And he, the new work, the new and living thing that he is doing, he is head over the house. Don't leave the house of Jesus. Don't leave the body of Christ. Don't leave the work that God is doing. Ephesians 1, chapter 22 says, And God placed all things under his feet 
and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, this is the role of Jesus in their life, and it's the role of Jesus in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I like the idea of Jesus being in the highest place, above all things, above all kings, above all lords, above all principalities. Do you like that idea? It's, it's, it's not just an idea, it's reality. Scripture tells us. But we like this idea. When we're praying, we like to pray, Jesus, you are, you are greater, you are above all. There is, there is nothing that is outside of your control. There is nothing below. You are higher than all things. But guess what, church? We have to include ourselves in all things. Jesus, you are higher than me. You are higher than my wants. You are higher than my ways. You are higher than my own decisions. You are higher than my selfishness. You are higher than my own preference. You are higher. And so when something is higher, what does that mean? That means we have to submit to Jesus as the head. And that the church becomes the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is higher. We've got to internalize that. We can't just point out here and say Jesus is higher, but when we say Jesus is higher, I, I, I submit my life to him that I decide to not sin because Jesus calls me out of that. Or there's things that the world does that are appealing, but I've decided not to do those things because Jesus is higher. And God's word says those things lead to death. And Jesus is higher. He leads my life. And so we look to Jesus. He says here as the apostle and high priest of our confession, this word apostle simply means ambassador, the one who is sent, the representative. And so we look to Jesus. Jesus, you are the one, you are the ambassador, you are the high priest, and I hold on to you with confidence. I hold on to you with hope. Again, as we see this theme of this book over and over again, it's an urging, hold fast to the confidence, hold fast to your hope. Don't let go of Jesus because he's been counted worthy of more glory. Now, the author wants these people to stop putting their confidence in the law, to stop pointing back to Moses. I wonder what it is that we're putting our confidence in. We put our confidence in lots of things. We put our confidence in, in I mean, you can just name it. You run into a, tr a problem, the first thing we put our confidence in is maybe our mind and our ability to work our way out of it. Or we put our confidence in someone who might be able to rescue us. They were putting their confidence in the law, that it was going to save them. We do things in our life in that way as well, where we do things that we think save us. Well, God, I'm just going to be a good person. I just, if, as long as I'm a good person, everything's okay. As long as I just do a nice thing for someone once a month, then I'm sure I'm okay with God. If I pray occasionally, then at least I'm okay. And we try to do these things where we measure up to God. We say, okay, God, well, I read my Bible uh, two chapters this week, and so I think we're okay now. And we do these actions and these things somehow to get us to this place where we're enough for God something that will save us, something that will be enough. But he says, really, what it comes down to is don't forget that Jesus did it all. And in the same way they were putting their confidence in the law, their confidence needed to be in Jesus and Jesus alone, that he alone saves. He's the only one that saves. These, these other things don't save. And, and in this time, this, there's, have you ever heard of the word legalism before? Right? This is this idea that that 
you know, as a Christian, I just follow the Ten Commandments. I do everything that I'm supposed to do. I'm a good person. God's going to approve of me. And yet, Jesus calls us into relationship. He calls us to be connected to him. He talks about the vine. And he talks about being connected to the vine. If you want to have fruit in your life, you've got to be connected to the one who is living and alive, and that is Jesus. And so stop putting your confidence in all these other systems and ways. Put your confidence in Jesus. So he says this, church, I keep hearing that you keep pointing to Moses. And this was a problem for the early church. And naturally, it was a problem. It was a problem as as anyone who stepped into a position of leadership. Have you ever stepped into a new position of leadership and, and you try to lead your team and, and the whole team that you're leading wants to keep pointing back to what the last guy did or what the last woman did, what the last leader did? Do you ever, got, do you ever get that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Has anyone been in that situation before? You know what I'm saying, right? Well, this is what they used to do. Can you imagine in, in, in this setting where it just kept going back to what? But the way of Moses says... But Moses did this, or Moses set up this system. Did you know that at this point in history, in, the Jewish, in, the Ju- in Judaism, in the Jewish religion, not only had the priests, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees followed all of the laws of God, they had made up a bunch of their own. They had, they had created a whole bunch of things and systems in which they thought it was their interpretation of what God said, that this is probably what it means. And so they had all these little nuances and rules that they were supposed to follow. And these things happen. And so this, these Jews in this time keep going back to, but Moses said, but Moses said this, but the way of Moses, the law says this, the priest said this, and yet it comes back to, listen, stop pointing to all these other things. Don't point to the last person who was in charge of God's house. It's Jesus now. And so just point to Jesus. That's what it's all about. We've got to point to Jesus. And this is really the centrality of what this is saying. Point to Jesus. Church, point to Jesus. We just tell someone you're sitting next to, start pointing to Jesus. Let's look here at verse 5. This is the coolest thing. You're going to love this. It says, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Has anyone got their scripture open? He was faithful, verse 5, as a servant. And then what does it say next? What did Moses do? He was a servant in order to do what? to testify. Moses was a servant. His role was to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Don't miss this, this tiny little section of this passage here. Moses was put on this earth to lead God's people to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. Everything God did through Moses was to point to Jesus, all of it. It was all meant to point to Jesus. If you look at the things that Jesus said, and this is what confused people as he walked the earth, in John 5, 46, he said to them, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. He wasn't being arrogant. He was speaking the truth. This was the purpose of Moses, was to speak about Jesus. Now, as a New Testament, non-Jewish Christian, I've taken this poll before in this church, and I haven't found anyone Jewish yet. Maybe there's someone here today. But as... New Testament non-Jewish Christians, we see the Bible through the lens of the New Testament, don't we? We see the New Testament. We look at what Jesus did. And as we look at what Jesus did, uh, what we do is we see that in the New Testament, we go back and we look and we see, wow, that lines up 
with the Old Testament. That's really cool. So Jesus came and he had Passover with his disciples. And my goodness, if you go back in history, God timed that because there was a Passover that was the original and the New Testament lines up with what the old was. And we look at these examples. Jesus had Passover and that lines up with the original. The blood of Jesus, wow, that's amazing because there's a symbolism because in the Old Testament, the original way God did this was, was the blood of the lamb for sacrifice of sins. And so we, we look at our Bibles in a way where we see how Jesus lines up with the law of Moses and how he fulfilled it all. There's nothing wrong with that inherently, except we're looking at it backwards. We're looking at the whole thing backwards. You see, here's the deal. The new that God did, it didn't copy the old. God didn't send Jesus and copy the pattern of the old. Instead, the old was pointing to what was to come. The old was there for a purpose to point to Jesus. It was always a prophetic statement of what was going to be fulfilled through Jesus. Let's go 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, that's including Moses, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them Pretty crazy, right? This is the Old Testament. This is way before Jesus. He says, the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. When you think about this, I love this because this, the whole Old Testament, all God had done up to this point in history, all of it, the sacrificial system, the prophecies, all of it, it was all pointing to Jesus, the law, the priesthood, everything. It was serving the purpose of Jesus until he came. And it says that angels have their minds blown over that that they served the purpose of God for all those years. And, and they were serving the purpose of God for one purpose only, to point to Jesus. Everything was pointing to him. So get this, the original Passover was a prophetic pointing to Jesus. God didn't have Jesus do Passover to copy what happened in the Old Testament. Are you tracking with me? The original Passover, when God freed the slaves, when they had become slaves in Egypt... And, and there was a Passover that God had. Uh, there, there was a Passover angel. There's a, you got to go to Exodus and just read the story. All right, I, can't, I don't have time to tell the whole story. But essentially, he spared them because the blood of the lamb was on the posts of their door. It was, on the, it was on the entrance to their home. So God had Israel sacrifice a lamb. And the sacrifice of that lamb prevented that home. It saved them from death. It saved that home from death death. In that entire situation was a prophetic statement of what Jesus was to come. They just didn't know it yet. They didn't know that in that moment when God delivered them from slavery, the things that they had been bound to, the chains that they had been in, the labor, the hardship, all of those things that they had lived their life in, in that moment, there was a freedom that came to their life through Jesus. 
a long time in the future. And it points to who Jesus is in our life. I want to challenge you to do something. Start looking for Jesus in the Old Testament. You will find him everywhere. If you can't find him, go out and buy a Jesus storybook Bible. It's real simple. It's real easy. It's for preschoolers. It's, we can get it. We can comprehend it. And the cool thing about the Jesus Storybook Bible is it tells all these stories of the Old Testament, and then it shows you how that story points to Jesus. Real simple. Real simple book for preschoolers, but it's good for adults too. But I, I, you start, when you read your Old Testament, when you're, when you're doing your devotional time, I want you to start looking for glimpses of Jesus throughout the Old Testament. And what you'll find is that over and over and over again, it points to Jesus. This is the purpose. It says here that, that Moses had a purpose for his life. His purpose was to testify of Jesus until Jesus came, to point to Jesus until Jesus came. This was Moses' job. He didn't know it, but he was being used by God prophetically. He lived his entire life, and his life served the purpose of pointing to Jesus until Jesus came. Well, I have some news for you. That's your purpose too. Your purpose of your life is to point to Jesus until he comes. Just as Moses' life pointed to Jesus, our life should point to Jesus. And as Christians, as those who are in God's house, who are part of the house of Jesus, our purpose is to point our lives to Jesus, to continue to point to Jesus. Are you pointing your life to Jesus? I wonder if we're taking the opportunity to point your life to Jesus, to recognize what he's done. I want to challenge you. Look back over your life. Look back at where you came from, and I bet you can find the story of Jesus weaving all throughout the history of your life. Even in the worst times, even in the hardest times, even the places, you will see how Jesus came in and how he rescued you. You'll find the story of Jesus in your life if you look for it. I'm going to tell you a story from my life, and it's really about someone in my life, my son Levi, and he's, he's actually serving in Quest this morning. Um, but, but some of you have know Levi. He, he plays drums occasionally on worship team as well. And uh, He's 17 years old, uh, a fine young man, and he was, he was working. He had just had a long day of school. From there went to soccer practice and then straight to work. And he was coming home around 8 o'clock at night. Now, my wife and I were on a lovely, peaceful getaway in Arizona. Uh, and we went to find some sunshine. And now there's nothing worse than getting a phone call that one of your kids is not okay when you are not in the same state as them. Um, it's not a good phone call no matter where you are, but especially when you can't get there. So we got a phone call that, that Levi had been in a car accident. And it wasn't a good one. Uh, in fact, it was a rollover. It was, it was terrible. The car was completely totaled. Um, it, was a, it was a bad situation. And maybe some of you have maybe heard the story. This was really like a month ago. It wasn't that long ago. Um, and some of you have talked to Levi and know that he was in an accident and, and it was bad and his car was totaled. And that happens in life. And, and one thing I, I don't think you may have heard is really how bad this accident really was. Um, it was really bad. Really, really bad. Um, We've been told by more than one first responder that the nature of his accident was an unsurvivable accident. It wasn't survivable. We, we've been in, in several ways, and I won't go into all the details of why it was unsurvivable, but 
statistically, um, and I have a friend who's an officer who I called and said, can you go to the scene, um, who said, I've, I've never seen one like this where the person survived. And we were, we've been told this by several people who have knowledge of these things. I don't, fortunately. And yet, somehow, there were no broken bones, there was no head trauma, there was no major anything. I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of scars from cuts and things like that. But no injury. Like, none. Like, that's unheard of. Especially, like, no concussion or nothing. And I've, I've talked to people about the story, and, and every single person that I've talked to says four words to me. Your son was lucky. Over and over. That's why you're, oh man, he was lucky. He was lucky. And I say, now, now what is the purpose, what is my, my life about? It's to point to Jesus until he comes. And I wonder sometimes if I, if I don't take that opportunity as much as I should. And I wonder if we don't take that opportunity as much as we should. And so in this situation in which people will say, oh man, Levi was so lucky. I say, correction. Levi was rescued by God. Levi was carried by God. We had, uh, I'm trying to remember who, was this your brother or your uncle who wrote that thing about the angels, Bethany? Your uncle? Yeah, he, he wrote the, her, her uncle, it was hearing the story, and his take was um, there were some angels in heaven, in heaven's ER, badly injured and beaten up <laughs> because they had surrounded him. I love that picture. I know that's not true, but it's just funny to think about. Somebody had to get hurt in this thing. And I tell people, no, he was saved by God. I'm going to point to Jesus. It's an opportunity to point to Jesus. And I've pointed to Jesus over and over. We went to, I went to look for a car. Uh, we were obviously needed to replace the vehicle um, because it wasn't going to be drivable. And I was talking to the seller of this car, of this vehicle, and, um, and I, don't, I don't think he was a Christian, just kind of, and I know that's just like a snap judgment. I didn't really get into the details of his life so much. Just the way he kind of talked and presented himself, that was kind of my assumption. And uh, he asked me this question. He was so fascinated by this story. And uh, he says, man, what was your son's takeaway? Like these kind of things, these accidents, they kind of change people. They, they, they kind of, they, they, they do something to them. And he says, what was your son's takeaway? How did this change him? And in my mind, I had this, I had the Lord <laughs> remind me, Brad, your life is about pointing to Jesus. This was a few weeks ago. He says, how did this change your son? And I said, well, he's more sure now than ever that God has a plan for his life. He has no doubt that Jesus has a hope and a future for him. And he just said, huh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> And then he said, man, he was lucky. <laughs> no, I'm not making this up. It's an opportunity. Point to Jesus. 
What opportunities in your life do you have to point to Jesus? Because I know you have them. I know you have them. What would happen to our world? What would happen to our community if we simply started pointing to Jesus? It was like, I don't know how to evangelize. I don't know how to go share the gospel. Okay, we'll work on that. But sometimes you just simply have to point to Jesus. Sometimes you're at work and there's things happening and people say, why are you so joyful? Why are you so happy all the time? And, and you say something stupid like, I don't know, Starbucks, you know? The Holy Spirit's going, you idiot. You know the answer is you have Jesus, right? Like this is the reality. We got to get bold. And I don't mean get bold in the way that we walk out in front of someone's face with a sign and say, turn or burn, maybe you're going to hell. Like, not like that. I just mean like point to Jesus, that kind of bold. It's simple. It's simple. Look how simple it was for me to just say, no, this was Jesus. And you can do the same thing. It's that simple to just point to Jesus in your life. Point to Jesus in your life. I could tell you so many stories, but I'm going to stop because I got lots of them. Let's think about stories. Oh man, someone meets Rayleigh and boy, what an opportunity to point to Jesus. There's a story there of what God has done. There's a story. And so I would challenge you to not sit back and just be content with the you got luckies or wow, someone must have been looking out for you. Like, that's really vague. Yeah, actually, someone was looking out for me. His name's Jesus. And begin to point your life to Jesus. You can do that in every situation. I know you can. I even know teachers and principals, and I know it's not allowed in school to preach the gospel. If someone asks you a question, you're allowed to answer it. All right? You might have to find a creative way, but you can point to Jesus. I know you can because I'm looking at the faces of people in this room that have done it. And they still have jobs and good ones. Point to Jesus. I want it said about my life. Brad was faithful to testify to the work of Jesus. Not because I preached, not because I led a church, but in my life I was faithful to testify to the work of Jesus. Listen, this message is challenging for me. I'm thinking about neighbors. I'm thinking about people I come in contact with, and I'm asking myself, where can I point to Jesus? Where have I just kept it inside because it was safe? And where can I point to Jesus? And I ask you the same thing. Where can you start pointing to Jesus in your life? I want to pray over you. If you would stand with me. I'm just going to pray this over you this morning. And I would say, We have our ministry team that'll come up here. If you'd like prayer this morning, uh, it doesn't have to have anything to do with this message today, but if you'd like someone to pray for you for something in your life, you're going through a difficult thing right now where you're saying, you know, you don't know what I'm going through. It's kind of hard to point to Jesus right now because this is tough. Then let's pray together and let's encourage you and let's come together as a church. But let's pray together today that our lives would point to Jesus. So Lord God, we come to you this morning. God, we first acknowledge that you are above all, and that includes me. That includes each one of us. You are over the house. 
And we thank you, Jesus, that you have included us in the house. And so, Jesus, we, like Moses, we want to live a life that testifies to who Jesus is. We want to live a life that testifies to the work of God on this earth until Jesus comes. And you will come, Jesus. And I pray that you will find us sharing of your goodness, that you will find us giving a testimony of your goodness, that you will find us pointing to you, Jesus, in our lives in every way. Would you give us boldness today? Would you remind us, would you call to mind the stories, Lord God? Lord, I pray for each person here even that we would have stories even preloaded and ready that we would remember for ourselves that would build our own faith when we remember the goodness of God in our lives. And so, Jesus, we commit to you. I will point to you, Jesus. I will point my life to you, Jesus. Some of you just need to tell them that right now. I will point my life to you, Jesus. In all things, even in the difficult things, I will point my life to you, Jesus. You are good. Jesus, we build our lives on you, on who you are. It's all about you. Thank you, Jesus. Church, let's sing together. If you'd like prayer, go ahead and come forward.